0: So if you haven't been around for the last few weeks, or so if you're new, so we've been doing this thing, um, it's been called The Heart of the King, and it's been six weeks, so this is week number six, it's actually been based on um, a book written by the guy who founded Pays. Um, so this, this has been really cool, sort of just to see some of the values that Pays have as well, and sort of learn from them, and some of those guys shared as well. T- tonight as well, what I have to share, I post on the Facebook, a lot of it's from this little book that I've read lots of times because it's really impacted my life, called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. Um, so I'm going to talk a fair bit about that as we go through tonight. But before we start, I just want to give you like a recap of the six weeks because these things kind of all fit together. And I just want to, want to present this tonight, but also sort of tie this all up and really think, what does this mean for us? So we've been, been looking at six different principles um, about living for the kingdom. And the, the kind of like tagline of this series has been that, that Jesus doesn't call us to live a life that's just about rules, that's just about like bare minimum, just like, just get in the door, just, just make sure you do what you have to do, and then just get out. But he actually calls us to live a life that's for his heart. That's What does it actually look like? What does God actually want? What is, what is God's vision? What's God's heart, and how do we actually live for that? And then there's these principles that we can follow to, to do that. And so right at the start, Kai shared about, about seeking, and this principle that Jesus talks about, about seeking God's kingdom first. In everything, And this, this idea of it actually being the first priority of our lives. And this doesn't mean like, like church has to be number one or that you, you, everything has to be about um, sharing your faith or so forth. But it just means in your workplace or in your family or in whatever you're doing that, that you're bringing God's kingdom. What would it look like if God was in charge here? What, what would it look like if, if God was reigning here? And, and one of the main characteristics, right, is love. That that to bring love into these situations, to bring God's glory into these situations, and that's like broad, right? That that that's that's massive. That includes all of life. Then Dave spoke about judging, and um, it's a bit loud. Will I don't know if you can put it down a little bit. Thanks. Um, and how like we can kind of get distracted in this pursuit of the kingdom of God, and instead of being changed and challenged and growing ourselves, we end up kind of just looking at everyone else and saying, like, oh, they're not really doing it right, they're not doing it too well, and can try to get distracted controlling and manipulating people or judging others. But the thing to do is to actually let it change in ourselves in our own hearts first. Then um, I shared in week three about storing and this idea that, yes, we're saved and, and we're forgiven and God loves us, but how we live actually matters. And, and if we pursue sin, it's actually going to have consequences. It's actually going to hurt people. The, the things we do, we need to have wisdom with and be strategic with. Then Matt shared about how to how actually use things God's given us. Because sometimes we get stuck, again, making it about the thing. Like, like Often we talk about gifts, and gifts are good, but, but sometimes we think like, oh, why don't I have what they have? Or why don't I have more? But what God actually cares about is not the things that we have, but how we use them and that we're faithful. And that whatever God gives us, whatever situations God places us in, he wants us to be faithful with that. Now, and then Dave said last week about almost like the future, that that a principle of the kingdom of God is that we sow seeds and it takes time. And that, that we actually have to think long term. And that the things that we do, the things that we build into now, will eventually reap a harvest. And that works both ways. If we're sowing into the good things, into the kingdom of God, we'll reap a harvest of good. If we're sowing into evil or not good things, we'll reap a harvest that is from that as well. So that's kind of like the principles Right, and, and this last principle I'm really excited to talk to you about because I think it's, it kind of seeps through all of them and really affects all of them because it's really got to do with the heart. And it's, what it really is saying is like in this pursuit of, of trying to... We want to seek God. This is, this is really saying like what does it look like to really love God with all our hearts? What does it look like to love our neighbor as ourselves? Let's actually pursue that. Let's seek to do that. But there's something that really gets in the way of that. There's something that can really complicate that and make it not so easy, not so simple. And it's interesting that it's actually us, just ourselves. Like, we can, we can talk a lot about, about doing amazing things for God, right? We can, we can talk about um, wanting to seek his heart and serve him, but so easily it becomes about us. So easily it becomes about, I'm actually doing this so that people will see me. Or so easily it becomes about wanting a position, well, so easily it becomes about what are people thinking? Are they going to be happy? Are they going to be pleased? So easily we, we, we make everything about ourselves. So what we're talking about today is really ourselves, right? And how we kind of can get in the way of this. So our sense of self, or another way to understand it, is just our ego. And how natu- our natural kind of state of mind, our ego, is, is incredibly focused on self. And even when we're trying and pursuing to do good and, and to serve God, it can easily become about ourselves. Even like what we're doing as a church, right? It can kind of have the same effect um, corporately. Like, like as a church, we're wanting to expand and, and, and go bigger. But easily, this can become about ourselves, right? So, so we feel better about ourselves. So, so we feel good. So we, we're better than other churches. Like that can easily become the heart. And, and this, this kind of sense of ourself and our ego, which is quite fragile, can can really um, sort of filter through all these principles and just just make it so difficult to actually seek and serve God. And what we actually need, what is what is so important, is humility. But humility is is this thing that can be so strange, right? Can be so elusive. Can be so even difficult to de- define what it is because we're not we're not talking about just just thinking low of yourself because that can also be a, about yourself still like like sometimes we, in in church circles right we can say like oh no I wouldn't want that I wouldn't want the attention I wouldn't want to serve god too much cuz I wouldn't want to be seen like I wouldn't want people looking at me and sometimes it can kind of look humble but it's actually about self still it's actually about protecting self. It's actually about worrying about what people think. So what we're going to gonna try and do tonight is just sort of think, like, what, what is this, right? Like, what is this, this feeling that we often have, this void that we're often trying to fill? And how can it be filled? How can we actually have humility because we need it so badly? This was true at a church um, in in Corinth in the the New Testament. We talk about Corinth so much. And I think it's because it's like this church had amazing things happening and massive problems as well. And that can just be so true in our lives. And in this church, right, God was doing some amazing things, God was working powerfully. And they had also had some really special people come and visit them. So, Paul the Apostle had come and visited them, another guy, Apollos, had come. Another guy, Cephas, had come. So people had come, and they, they, they had just heard about Jesus, which was amazing as well. But instead of just valuing these things and valuing the good, they had to make it about themselves. This is what Paul said when he, he heard about them. He said, each one of you says, I follow Apollos. Or, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. What's happened in this church where all these good things are happening is that people have made the good things about themselves and they've, they've become puffed up, they've become proud, which has led to division and fighting and all these sorts of issues. Instead of just being able to say, like, it's, it's so great that Paul has come here. It's so great that Apollos has come here. We love him. We value him. They have to say, oh, now, we know Apollos. We know Paul. Now, they have to make it about themselves and about their identity. And then this leads to this pride, which leads to fighting, which leads to all kinds of difficulties. Paul in chapter 4 talks about this as well, and he uses a really interesting word to describe what's happening in this church. He says this, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. And the word is a word for pride, but it's a, it's a different word for pride. And what Paul's trying to do is, is give like a picture of what this looks like in this church. And in some ways, this is a picture of what our ego can be like, our sense of self can be like. And he describes it in such an interesting way as being puffed up So, I have some things to puff up here. Whoa, I didn't didn't mean to do that. That's better. Cool. (laughs) So, in this book, Tim Keller talks about ego. Right, like our sense of self. And he, he sort of goes with this word picture that Paul has, right, of being puffed up. And we, and we talk about people being proud as being puffed up as well. We use that language. And he describes the ego in four ways, kind of using this, this picture of what our sense of self can be like. And the first one is that it's empty. So kind of like a balloon that, that's just full of air. It doesn't have substance. There's, there's, no, there's nothing in there really apart from air And because of this, because our sense of self is like this so often, we're always needing to feel it. We're always needing something to make us feel worthwhile. We're always needing something to feel important, to feel validated, to feel special. So the the ego, without God, right, is just empty. It's also painful, which is a really interesting way to understand it. And, And the thinking goes that you don't feel or you're not really aware of parts of your body unless they're in pain. Like, you don't really walk around thinking about your toes. and you don't, you don't really walk around thinking about your elbow or your back. It just kind of works. It's just a part of your body, it's just a part of yourself, and it, and it does its job. But if you stub your toe, you feel it. You're aware of it. If you, if you scrape your elbow, you're aware of it. If you have a bad back, you feel it. So things that are painful actually draw attention to themselves. And our ego constantly draws attention to itself. When, when we're in situations we're constantly seeing what's happening and, and connecting it to ourselves the th- good things we do the bad things we do things people say it's, it's constantly coming back to ourselves and therefore it's busy it's busy doing this all the time and what it's doing is comparing with others constantly where do i sit with everybody else and it's boasting constantly am i better am i worse if trying to place find significance compared to other people, and because of this, it's incredibly fragile. And I don't know if, if you feel this, I, I feel this all the time, because someone can just feel fragile inside. Like if you really get in touch within with in yourself, you can actually feel quite fragile and insecure. The interesting thing is as well, like I was saying before, like we, we get the idea of being puffed up as being proud, but there's the, uh, the interesting thing is that this problem is the same problem when you feel terrible about yourself. Because when you feel terrible about yourself, you're kind of deflated. You're not inflated, you're deflated. But it shows that you were inflated before. So someone, someone who's deflated, someone who walks around saying, I'm, I'm terrible, I'm not good, I'm a bad person, everyone else is better than me, I can't do anything, really inferior. Again, it's still, it's still this sense of self that, that's just predominant in, in, in the thinking. But it's also a sign that previously they were inflated, that there's this inflated sense of self that hasn't been met it leads to a deflated, inferior sense of self as well. So you can see this situation's not very good. And it's interesting, right, that, that although we kind of know this, we're kind of aware of this, we can still keep pursuing this as well. You might have even felt this before, like, like if I just get to the next level in my career, then I'll be satisfied. If I just get married then I'll be satisfied. If I'm just successful in this area, then I'll feel all right about myself. Someone incredibly successful has has got in touch with this feeling, and she's got a quote here I want to read out. This is by Madonna, incredibly successful person who realizes this, and she says, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre that's always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, But then I feel like I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. Now, this is someone incredibly famous, incredibly successful, who's gotten places that we would never, ever get to. And she's in touch with this fragile, busy, painful, empty ego that she has that gets filled up for a little bit, but it's not enough. It needs to get filled up again, and it's not enough. And, and we don't want to be like that. Like, we don't want to have to live a Christianity that, that's like this, right? That's just constantly about self. We don't, In our pursuit of God and His kingdom, we don't want it to be about filling our ego, about making us feel good, about needing position or needing status or needing significance through serving God. We, we don't want to live like that. We want to be free to be able of focus on Him and free to actually serve him for his sake and serve others for their sake and and enjoy the things that he's given us because they're good, not needing to connect them to ourselves all the time. It's interesting. Paul's writing this letter to, to Corinth, and as we read what he says and as we read some of his other letters, we can see that he doesn't really seem to have this kind of ego, that he's actually kind of operating from a different place. Now, now he was only human, and I'm sure he wasn't perfect at this, but it seems like he's, he's grown and he's got to a position where his ego is not empty and, and puffed up and fragile and busy, but it's actually different. So what I want to do is I want to just look at a few things about what he says and, and kind of paint a picture of what does that even look like, right? What does it even look like to not be like that? And then, then talk about how we could pursue this and, and move in that direction. So this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, if it's required by stewards that they be found faithful. This is like Paul just saying, like, look, I've been given this job by Jesus. Like, he's writing this letter to this church. He, he's correcting them of things. He's telling them to do things. He's saying, this is what God has given me to do. This is my job. And he's just honest about that. But then he says this, which is really interesting. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Now this is kind of what we often get taught, right? If, if someone struggles a lot with what people think of them, if people struggle with, with even that, like needing significance, needing success in order to feel good about themselves, what people often get taught is, the thing to do is don't care what people think about you. Just care what you think about you. Just decide what you value, just decide what you want, and, and, and have a good self-image, have good self-esteem. And this, this is what we often teach people, right? And, and Paul seems to be talking about this, but then he says something interesting that shows he's actually going in a different direction because he's saying to these Corinthians, right, he's saying, look, I don't care what you think of me. I don't care if you judge me. I don't care if a human court judges me. It doesn't bother me. But then he says this, in fact, I do not even judge myself for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. So he's, he, he, he goes one step further. He doesn't say, I don't care what you think. I only care what I think. He says, I don't care what you think and I don't care what I think. I don't really value your opinion of me and I don't even really value my opinion of myself, which is strange, right? This is, this is kind of, we don't really hear about this. We don't, people don't really talk like that very often. But it's interesting, right? Because Paul does seem strange because if we look at what he says about himself, he can hold together things about himself that often we don't, we can't hold together. This is some things that Paul says about himself. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. The apostles are, are the leaders of the church at that time. I'm the very least of all the saints. I'm the foremost sinner. You might know that verse where Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. Paul's basically saying, I'm the worst person there is, right? But then he says this, Paul called to be an apostle. He says, my job is to lead the church, and he does it with confidence. And then he says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. And these two things, we, can't, we don't often hold them together, right? Like we either say we're, we're, we're terrible sinners, we're bad people, therefore we can't do anything and, and our self-image just is destroyed. We have no confidence. Or we go to the other extreme and we think we're so great, we're so amazing, we can do anything. But to be able to be honest about your sins and your struggles and your weaknesses and to be confident and secure doesn't really go together very often. But Paul seems to have this this position, this place, where he doesn't connect these things to his sense of self anymore. This is what Tim Keller says about, about Paul and sort of this place he's in. He says this, "...his sins and his identity are not connected. He refuses to play that game. He does not see a sin and let it destroy his sense of identity. He will not make a connection, neither does he see an accomplishment and congratulate himself." He sees all kinds of sins in himself and all kinds of accomplishments too, but he refuses to connect them with himself and his identity. So although he knows himself to be the chief of sinners, that fact is not going to stop him doing the things that he's called to do. It's interesting, right? Whereas I was saying before, like this, this sort of puffed up ego is connecting everything to its sense of self. It seems like Paul's ego is different and it's not connecting anything to his sense of self. And a way to understand that is his ego is actually filled up. His ego actually has substance to it. His sense of self is secure and full. That it's not, it's not this empty, fragile, busy thing, but it's actually much more stable and secure and f- actually full of something. This is what Tim Keller says about this. This, this is actually humility says this, true gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself. This freedom of self-forgetfulness, this blessed rest that only self-forgetfulness brings. that This, this sense of actually your, your sense of self, even being able to work like other parts of your body that just work when they're not in pain. That, that this is actually what, what, uh, one way to understand humility, right, it's not thinking less of self, but actually thinking of self less. Not, not, not continually putting yourself down or feeling bad about yourself, but actually just not being in this place where everything has to be connected all the time. And again, again, it doesn't mean not thinking about self, because obviously we think about ourselves, but it means not being consumed by that. It's about thinking about self less, and that this is actually freedom, that that this sort of bondage that our ego has is actually, is actually a form of bondage. That that everything is always connected to ourselves. Everything's always needing to be satisfied. But to actually live like this, with a sense of self that's full, full, that's actually filled up with something, then we're actually free just to be who we are, free just to be ourselves, free to do things for the sake of doing them, not so they make us look good, free to love people for their sake, not not so we can think of ourselves as a good person. So how do we get this freedom? Like, How, how do we move in this direction that Paul gets to, to, that he comes to? How can this actually be ours? Well, he kind of gives a hint in these verses in Corinthians. And you have to look kind of carefully to actually see what he's saying. But this is, this is what he says. So right, he said, I don't even judge myself. I don't care what you think. I don't care what I think. It is the Lord who judges me. Paul's actually saying, it's, it's not people's opinion that builds my sense of self. It's not even my opinion of myself. I don't judge myself. When I do something, I'm not filtering it through myself and finding identity there. It's actually the Lord. It's actually God who is the judge, and God will make up his mind about me. It's interesting that he uses this word judge, right? And this idea of being in a courtroom. And in a courtroom, like what you're looking for is a verdict, and, and you're hoping for a verdict of being innocent. And this sense of, when we have this sense of self, it's almost like we live in a courtroom all the time. That all the time our lives are on trial. All the time we're assessing people's judgment of us. All the time we're judging ourselves. And what we're looking for is this ultimate verdict that, our, that we are valid people, that, that we are special people, that we're important people. Well, like Madonna said, we're not mediocre people. Constantly, this is what we want, right? And, and we may get it, but then it's not enough. We need the ultimate verdict, and the ultimate verdict can only come from God. But this is the amazing thing, and this is what Paul realized and understood, that in Christianity, you don't have to perform, you don't have to go to court, you don't have to sit in the trial and hope that eventually you'll get the verdict. God gives us the verdict now before we do anything. This is what Tim Keller says, do you realize it's only in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you get the verdict before the performance? So what Paul is saying, he knows it's only that what God thinks of him that matters. And the amazing thing is that God has made up his mind, that the case is closed. And the case is closed is because we were on trial, but then we didn't have to stay there. Jesus went on trial for us. Jesus was judged for us. Jesus took our punishment. He he took our place. And now the case is closed. God has made up his mind about us and has given us the stamp of approval, the same one that he's given Jesus. That if we believe in Jesus, God says to us, you are my beloved son and daughter with whom I'm pleased. Before we do anything, The, the, the gospel says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that the judgment has been given and it's, and it's a verdict of not guilty. And even more than that, it's a verdict of incredibly valuable and worthy and important that comes from God himself. And that because of that, from that place of freedom, we live our lives. Not to get that verdict, but because we've already got it. And that, that is an amazing place of freedom to live from. And, and this then, then flows into all these other things, that, that we don't have to do these things. We don't have to seek God in order to satisfy some sense of self, but actually because we have already have the ultimate verdict. If, if God has said this about us, what does it matter what other people think of us? What does it matter whether, whether we're known or whether we're famous? What does it matter whether we have the biggest church or not? But those things don't matter. God has made up his mind about us now. And then from this place, we pursue these things that we've been talking about in this series for His sake and because they're good and for the sake of others. So I want to kind of work backwards now and go from, from, from this place of freedom, right? From this place of being filled, then we, we humble ourselves before God and let Him exalt us. We, we're free to not worry about position and status and, and fame. We can just sort of let those things go and say we're going to humble ourselves before God and serve Him. We're going to sow into his kingdom because it's actually good. Because he, he has done this. Jesus has come and his kingdom is coming. So let's, let's put things into that. Let's build into that. We're going to be faithful with what he's given us to be faithful with because he is faithful to us because he is so good to us and he has given himself for us. So from a place of freedom, we say, I'm going to serve you, God, with whatever you give me. We're going to be strategic and wise with how we live because we realize it actually matters and impacts other people. So we're going to serve him in that way. We're going to be merciful to others and not judgmental because he's been merciful to us. And from this place of freedom, right, this place of the verdict's already in, we seek his kingdom, his plans, his will for his sake. That we can actually be free to live for the heart of the king, not having to have it all about us. So to to kind of... Bring this like to a close, this, this series, and, and kind of the, the, the heart behind it and the kind of vision behind it of what we're trying to, as a community, do is, is basically do what I've been saying tonight, is lift ourselves from ourselves. Lift our eyes off ourselves. Lift our eyes off this, this needing to satisfy things for ourselves and actually look to God and ask God this question. God, what's in your heart? God, what's your vision? What's, what's your desires for my life? What, what, what are you actually doing in the world? How can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I love you and humble myself and live for you, the King who died for me? And we can only do that if, we, if, we, if we're living in this place of, of freedom because the verdict's already in. And the thing to do, right, because I, I, you're probably thinking like, yeah, Tim, that sounds great, but how do you actually do that? Like, that's incredibly hard. And the thing to do, right, is to constantly take ourselves out of the courtroom, all the time. Because all the time, we end up back there. All the time, we end up back on trial. All the time, we end up back worrying about what people think. We worry, get their back, we go back there judging ourselves. We go back there trying to fill the void. And when we do that, we need to say, hang on, the verdict's already in. I'm not on trial anymore. Who I am has been decided. My identity is secure, it's filled up, it's in him. Pull yourself out of the courtroom. And we have to do that all the time. When we come to church, we have to, we have to stop. We have to say, pull ourselves out of the courtroom. When we go to pray, we have to pull ourselves out of the courtroom. When we, when we go home, we have to pull ourselves out of the courtroom all the time. And, and I have to do this as well. And, and I'm not very good at it. And, and I, this is something that we're going to do together and, and grow in. But I, but I think and I believe that if we pursue that, if we live a life of constantly doing that, we can start to be people who are filled up with a sense of identity that is so secure and strong in who God says we are. And therefore, we can be a people that are so free to actually just do things and live from our heart and to actually live for Him and not need to be filling this void all the time. So we constantly pull ourselves out of the quorum. I think um, we're going to finish up there. Maybe, maybe for some of you, that's the first time that you've heard that idea, even. Because everything else, right, says perform, perform, do good, be good, and then you'll have the verdict. And we're so used to that. that. That's what every other religion teaches. That's what we get taught all the time. And Christianity is the exact opposite, which says believe in Jesus, and then God says, the verdict's in. I love you, I approve of you, I'm yours. And then we perform from that place. And it's so different. Maybe that's the first time you've heard that and you just need to receive that. But probably most of us, right, have rocked up here tonight and we've been in the courtroom. And, and um, even maybe we had communion and we got out of it and then maybe we were back in it. And, and, and tonight we need to, to, need to just take some time now, right, to, to, to lay down this, this, this need to, to satisfy our ego, this need to make everything about ourselves and actually just come and humble ourselves before God and say God you're the only one whose opinion actually matters and you've made up your mind and and I don't want to live a life that's all about me I don't want to live a life that's about trying to fill this void I want to live a life for you and for your heart and and I feel like we we've, we've been doing this for 6 weeks right and and this has been the heart behind this. And I kind of just feel like tonight that maybe we can just have some time to respond to this. Um, so as the, as the band kind of plays, I'm going to pray. And there's no. please don't feel any pressure at all. I'm not putting any pressure on you, but I just want to create some space and say, maybe you feel like, like th- this has actually really touched you or, or, or is hitting a nerve. And, and maybe there's a real need to actually just come in humility and humble yourself before God and say, God, I want to live for your heart, not mine. And I'm just going to invite you, if you'd like to, just to come up the front and just to kneel. And just to say, God, this is, this is my life. I give it to you. I've given it to you before. I'm going to give it to you again. And I just want to say, my heart is that I want to live for your heart. I want you to fill me. I want to be a person filled and have a, have a sense of self that comes from you, not, not from my drive, so that I can actually be free. So I'm going to just stay up here and kneel. If you want to, if you want to come up, that's fine. If you want to kneel in your seat, if you just want to respond, however you want to respond tonight, feel free. No pressure at all. Um, and then we'll just sing to close. So, Father, thank you so much, um, God, for the time we've just had to to think about this idea, of, Lord, of seeking your heart, of of looking beyond ourselves. And God, we just we need you. Even even this what we're talking about tonight, God, if it's just an idea, it doesn't really. It doesn't really do anything. We actually need you. We actually need to know you're here. We actually need you to change our hearts. We actually need you to fill us with your Holy Spirit. And God, I just pray that you would would do that tonight, God. Especially, Lord, for anyone that this has just brought up stuff in. Anyone this is just really touching now, God, would would you just fill them with your Spirit and your presence and your love? God, would we be a people, would we even be a community, God, that that whose identity is secure in you and what you say about us, that we're free to go and serve and live for your heart. Um, So we just pray that, that you'd meet us in this place, in this time now, in your name, Jesus. Amen.